You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the Audio Road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. This is Destination Health. We're going to focus on your health, fitness, training, diet-related questions. And we're also going to wrap it around that trucking lifestyle, living on the road, living in the truck, eating on the road. It does make this a little more difficult, but that's not an excuse. What we have found lots of feedback from people on the road is that once they get adapted to this type of lifestyle and this way of eating, that it becomes easier than the old way. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why. When What we talk about here is we talk a lot about a, either a ketogenic diet or a paleo diet or a hybrid in between. Now, the real goal is to eat a properly prepared, and I'll explain what that means, nutrient-dense whole food diet. That is the single most important aspect of this. We also want to make sure we're getting plenty of fat into our diet. I know fat has been a bad word for a long time, and it's a shame because it is killing people. We are finally starting to see a shift, even in the medical community. There is a new book out just about every week now from doctors who for years believed that a low-fat diet was healthy, and those doctors are changing their minds. Low-fat diets are not healthy, and you won't lose weight, and you'll create all kinds of health problems. So the first thing we have to get people over is their fear of fat even saturated fat, especially saturated fat. When you start moving good quality fats back into your diet, you will find that it is much easier to eat this way on the road. And one of the reasons is you're just not going to need to eat as much food. You're not going to need to eat every two hours like they told us was healthy. That's not healthy. That puts your body in a constant state of digestion which is really hard, and that's why you're tired, and that's why you get energy spikes, and that's why we have blood sugar all over the place, and and we have trouble sleeping, and we can get irritable, and we have digestion issues, and all of these things that, that we have come to believe are normal are not normal. And the good news is you don't need a single prescription to fix any of these issues, whether you have heartburn, or GERD, or acid reflux. You don't need a drug to fix those. Food will fix those. If you have any of the digestion issues that people have, gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, all those things, all of them in the same day sometimes, you don't need a prescription. 
food will fix those things. If you have high blood pressure, food can fix that. If you have high blood sugar, food will absolutely fix that. If you have high cholesterol, food will fix that. But believe it or not, you're going to eat more fat and more cholesterol to fix those issues. I know it sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. And you know, this isn't new. If you go back to the 1800s and the early 1900s, this was the normal advice. It wasn't until about 1950 that we started changing and talking about the low fat, and it has been a disaster. So this really is a a great way to eat once you get used to it, once you learn how to do it. We, We refer to some of this as high fat, low carb, moderate protein. That's what we should be shooting for. A lot of our calories should be coming from fat. A moderate amount of our calories should be coming from protein. We don't want to overdo the protein side of things, but we do want to get good quality protein and meat and animal products are absolutely necessary. And we want to eat a lot of good quality vegetables. We, we want to stop using the word fruit and vegetable together because they're two totally different things. You want to really, really limit your intake of fruit. But you want to eat lots of vegetables. And there are different variations on what we consider low-carb. Um, and I, if you're interested in a good article, I'll explain it a little bit, but I just posted a good article this morning about the differences in low carb, how low is low. And I've been experimenting moving back and forth. For example, um, when I first started, and if you want to be on a true ketogenic diet, you probably need to get your total carb count for the day down to 20 or 30 grams. That's pretty low. So in a diet like that, you can't be eating things like sweet potatoes, which can be very healthy, but you have to be careful. You even have to watch um, things like onions and, and mushrooms, which I love and they're healthy, but we have to limit the quantity of those things. That would be a very strict, very low-carb diet. But there are some clear benefits to doing that. Then you could move up into the mid-range of low-carb where maybe you're eating 40 to 60 grams of carbs a day. So you would increase things like mushrooms and onions and tomatoes and um, some of the higher carb vegetables. But at 40 to 60, you're probably not going to be eating any sweet potatoes. Um, I recommend cutting out all grains completely of all kind, any wheat, rice, flour, corn, all of that stuff just goes. Um, And then if you do what's called a, a more liberal low-carb diet where your carb count might be in the 80 to 100 range, that's where you could add back in some sweet potatoes and some more kombucha and maybe even a little natural sugars here and there. Um, Everybody's different. And it really takes you experimenting with this to find out where you are. And I'll kind of give you my history. Um, In the beginning, I went very, very low carb, tried to keep my carb count around 20 to 30 grams a day, and I felt amazing. I lost some weight, gained all kinds of energy, and the symptoms I was having, digestive, joint pain, um, headaches, those kind of things went away completely. 
in in a year of this, I haven't taken a single over-the-counter medication for anything. I feel better than I did when I was 20. Then over time, I started to increase my carb count. Um, all healthy carbs, though, sweet potatoes, a um, little bit of kombucha. Sometimes that might have been a little higher in sugar. And I did get up around that 100 grams a day. I gained a little bit of weight back, nothing serious, and I didn't mind it. But I, I did start to notice on really long, stressful work days that I was running out of energy towards the end of the day, and I was looking for a cup of coffee. And so I, I, I kind of i am working on an experiment now. I decided to do a um, 7 to 10-day strict low-carb again, 20 grams a day, and I'm, I'm about five days into it, and I feel absolutely amazing again. So it, it's okay to cycle in and out through those three stages of low-carb, but you really don't want to ever go over 100 grams. Um, there are some people that can go 100 to 140 or so, but they're endurance athletes who are burning off a lot of carbs with uh, you know, pretty high-intensity exercise. So with that, let's, uh, let's grab a phone call before we head into the break. Let's start off in Illinois. James, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kim. Kim there? Hey there. Yeah. Yeah, is, is Kim there, actually? Kim is not here today. I'm flying solo. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I was, uh, was going to tell you about my, uh, my running accomplishment. Uh, uh, over the past year, in fact, just... Uh, Last February, so a year's time this has taken, I have run over 200 miles. Wow. So according to, a, according to an incredible. app that I have. This is a guy that can't, can't run over two miles at one time, so it's a lot of days of, of running there. That's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, Karen, I was going to ask you about my diet. I did call you just last week about changing my diet as far as how much kombucha I'm drinking and everything, and and the five energies, those are my version of cigarettes. I am really trying to cut those things out of my life. I still have them okay. around, but I haven't taken any in a few days. So okay. I, I got my kombucha down to one a day. I got, I got it down to one a day, but I'm, I'm eating uh, 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 um, coconut oil and butter and all that. And I, I hear the music. Hold, hold that thought. One kombucha a day is a good number. Um, right now, I had to give up the kombucha a little bit because it, it, most of them do have between, you know, 5 and 12 grams of sugar per serving. And that's okay when you're on the liberal end of the diet, but when I'm doing the strict ketogenic, I had to give those up for a little while. So we'll come right back. We'll talk about that right after this break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're 
talking about health and fitness and diet and all those good things. Before the break, I was talking with James in Illinois. James, go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to kind of uh, add more fat into my diet in my in the morning. I'm I'm eating butter, like I said, coconut oil, drinking uh, olive oil, and all that. Just trying to get as much fat into my uh, system so I could stay awake. And like I explained to you before, it's very difficult for me to stay awake. And um, but my energy levels been uh, been evening out. And everything, so I, I think I'm getting a grasp on this without using, you know, five-hour energy to try to keep myself going. You know, so I, I try to exercise in the middle of the day also to try to keep myself awake. So those are all great ideas, and I think we can see. I think you're seeing that it's heading in the right direction. It takes a while for your body right. to become what we call fat adapted, and and right. once it does your energy levels naturally stay steady and you should have the virtually the same physical energy level late in the day as you do early in the morning, but that doesn't mean you won't get tired, like sleepy tired. You shouldn't be, and it, it's sometimes hard to describe the difference. You shouldn't be physically fatigued because you should have plenty of energy because we all have fat stores. Even the leanest marathon runners, they claim, have enough fat stores to last them 20 or 30 days. Now, that's somebody who's really lean. So you, the, the beauty of being fat adapted is you always have energy. Even if you eat nothing, you have energy. Whereas when you're a sugar burner, which is what most of the population is, your body only holds about 2,000 calories of sugar, of glycogen. And you burn through it pretty quick, and you have to keep replacing it. And as your blood sugar is spiking and dropping, that's when you feel that need for caffeine. So that's the craving for that five-hour energy because your blood sugar is all over the place and your body's just searching for a source of energy. So as right. you become fat-adapted, you will have less and less of those cravings. But sleep is another issue. So if you... If you get to the point where you feel like you're fully fat adapted, you have good steady energy all the way through the day, you're not craving the five-hour energy, you're not craving sugar, but you find that you get sleepy tired still, then we, yeah. would, we would take a step back and address the sleep issue because the energy and sleepiness can be two very different things. Right. Okay. I have one other question about um, blood pressure. Avocados, right? You say the, the, the potassium in avocados lowers blood pressure, or am I kind of uh, reading that wrong? No, there, there's three minerals we'd really like to get balanced to help us maintain blood pressure. Um, right. There's sodium, which is salt, potassium, and magnesium. Uh, avocados are great sources of several things that we really want in a diet like this. One, they're loaded with fat, and it's good fat. Uh, two, they're loaded with fiber. And if we're eating a, a high-fat diet, we do want to seek out sources of fiber. So that's another great thing in an avocado. They have good sources of potassium and magnesium. And to round it out, all we need to do is squeeze a little lime juice on it and put good quality sea salt. And it is like a perfect, perfect snack or addition to any meal. 
and that will help with blood pressure regulation and all kinds of other things. Right. Hey, uh, just a little bit of movie trivia for you before we cut off. Um, that the movie that just came out with uh, 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 Celeste Stallone, uh, Creed, right? Yeah. I was watching the special features on there, and the guy who who did the characters, uh, the uh, Adonis Creed's uh, uh, training for his uh, weight training and everything, he briefly kind of went over a ketogenic diet. He said he cut out carb, he couldn't eat any uh, carbohydrates, and he controlled his fat levels and all that. And it sounded like a ketogenic diet that he used. To, to get that that actor into that character shape. So. Interesting, and and it is becoming much much more common. Every week, I see another story about a top athlete in all kinds of sports: rugby, tennis, uh, endurance running, weight training. All every week, there's a new story about the records being broken by somebody on a ketogenic or high fat diet. It, it's it's finally catching on. So that's good to see. I didn't know it was in that movie. That's interesting. Let's go to Oregon. Irvy, welcome to the program. How are you doing, Kevin? Good. Uh, what can I help you with today? Well, I had my uh, gallbladder removed about a year ago. Okay. And, um, now I ended up with high blood pressure. And Does that have anything to do with that or or? What kind of foods it, do you it, it it does, um, and I'll explain why. Um, your gallbladder, we've always kind of been led to believe um, that the gallbladder isn't really necessary. You know, if it's given us some problems, let's just take it out. And that's absolutely not true. The gallbladder is so critical to health that we shouldn't be taking it out. We should be doing everything we can to keep it healthy and save it. But if it does come out, there are some ways to fix it. Here's why it's it's so critical. Um, it, and the reason we have so many gallbladder issues today, uh, have you ever been on a, a low-fat diet or have you ever tried to avoid fats? Almost everybody does. Yeah. Okay. That's one of the reasons we're seeing gallbladder issues. Your gallbladder is there to help you digest fats. And if we don't eat fat and your gallbladder isn't doing anything, like everything else, when it sits around not doing anything, it stops functioning very well. Then it gets inflamed and the doctors say, oh, let's just take it out. But the problem is we now know that fat is one of the most important nutrients we need to get. If we don't get fat, we can't absorb any of the fat-soluble vitamins, really important vitamins, A, D, E, and K. And if you can't absorb those vitamins, you're going to have all kinds of health issues, including high blood pressure and many other things, because your body, no matter what you eat, if you can't digest it, your body doesn't have the nutrients it needs. So we have to address digestion, and gallbladder is part of that process. Now, what happens if it's gone? Here, here, think of your gallbladder as a valve. So your liver is producing bile, and bile is what we use to, to digest fat, and your gallbladder is like the valve. So your gallbladder says, oh, look, here comes some fat down the digestive tract, and it figures out how much fat, and it releases the right amount of bile. 
to digest the fat. If your gallbladder is working right, that's what it's doing. When it's not working right, your your bile starts to get thick and sticky and, and you can't release it properly and it doesn't flow well. And that's when it will also get inflamed and instead of the doctor saying, let's fix it, they um, they just take it out. Well, now the problem is your liver still produces bile, which is a good thing because we have to have it, but there's no metering valve anymore. So as your liver produces bile, it just drips into your intestines. If you're not eating fat and there's nothing for the bile to work on, it will cause digestive issues. It will make you um, just... All the digestive issues you can think of can occur because we have bile in our intestines and no fat to digest. So you you want to move to the high-fat diet, but you also need to figure out how do we get the bile flowing right, how do we get it timed right. So my recommendation, because you've had your gallbladder removed, I, I can give you some foods that are going to help, um, but you really should probably go to an NTP or a naturopath, and, and I would even interview them up front because there are lots of NTPs or naturopaths that actually specialize in people that have had their gallbladder removed. They understand all the issues. They know what supplements work better. They know what diet works better. Um, so I would really recommend you look for an NTP and go through the process. But here's some of the foods you could eat. Um, beets, beet greens, and something that's called beet kvass, K-V-A-S-S, real beet kvass. And you can find it in health food stores. Some grocery stores are starting to carry it. Beets, beet greens, and beet kvass is like a superfood for your gallbladder. It will, and, and even though yours is gone, it is a superfood to help get that bile flowing better. So it, it's thinner and more consistent. Um, artichokes are really good and real sauerkraut and real sauerkraut juice. All of those things will really help support um, the liver because we can't support your gallbladder anymore. It's gone. Uh, but that's where I would start, but I would highly recommend um, going to an NTP. And if you can find one that specializes in gallbladder issues, that'd be even better. The good news is this can be fixed. We can really make huge improvements in this. We'll be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. This is Destination Health. I'm going to get right back to the phone calls. We're going to go to Oregon. Al, welcome to the program. 
Oh, hey, Kenneth, thanks for taking my call. Can I help you? I, uh, I, I called you a while back, asked you about the lectins and peanuts, and on the book, I guess the question number, I forgot to ask you, the book I read was Going Against the Grain. I don't know if you've read okay. that one before. It was it was made in 2002. Oh, okay. Yep, I've read and that. She, oh, okay. Now, she does mention also dairy. She says to stay away from dairy because of the lectins also. I wanted, I forgot to ask you the last time, what was your take on that part there? You know, here's here's the, dairy is probably one of the most controversial areas when it comes to eating you know, whether we call it a, a paleo diet, a ketogenic diet, a whole food diet. Um, so we it, it's actually fairly complicated. So we, we've got to kind of break things down. Now, there's been a lot of talk about lectins and anti-nutrients, and they're not always bad. There is a reason those things are in our foods. Yes, they can bind the nutrients and carry nutrients out of the body, but if we're eating a nutrient-dense diet like we should be, losing some nutrients is not a big deal. The problem is when you eat the standard American diet, which is so low in nutrients, then any lectins you get and they carry nutrients out, now you're really creating a problem. But lectins also bind to things we don't want in our body. They bind to toxins, they bind to heavy metals, and they carry those out of the body. That's a good thing. So I I really like the idea of eating very nutrient-dense, so we have plenty of nutrition, and having some of these lectins in our diet as they kind of detoxify. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Okay, because I don't want to stuff in the dairy. Yeah, we don't want to avoid them completely. Now, peanuts have a whole different issue, so we can just throw peanuts out, but all nuts right. have some anti-nutrients, and I don't want you to avoid them because nuts are very healthy. Dairy can be healthy, but there's so many issues that for a lot of people, it's easier to say just give it up. Um, I prefer to understand the issues and use dairy for the good parts and, and what it can do. Um, here's the thing. If we're going to eat dairy, I work really hard to make sure I'm getting grass-fed, first off, organic, and if I can, I really want to get it raw. So, you know, in Washington State, right across the river, I can go buy raw milk. If I'm going to drink milk, I'll drink it raw. If I'm going to eat yogurt, I I at least want it to be organic. That's the minimum. And whole fat and no sugar. I'd love it to be grass-fed and organic. And if I can, you know, in order to get it raw, I have to make it myself. And and I will do that sometimes. So that's one issue is the quality of the dairy. The better the quality, the better off you're going to be. The other thing about dairy, never low fat. Always full throttle. Oh, yeah. Like, full throttle. Um, <laughs> yeah, and one of the things you can do, people say, well, what about milk? Milk is actually fairly high in carbs. But one of the things you can do is take heavy whipping cream and thin it with water oh. to more like a milk consistency, but you don't have any of the sugars that are in milk. Full fat cream is has no sugars. So, you know, lean towards the half and half, the heavy cream. If you want to, just thin it out with water a little bit. Now, the final thing about dairy, 
and you probably know this about yourself, if you are lactose intolerant at all, if you notice that if you eat dairy, and, and sometimes people can eat cheese but not drink milk. Sometimes people can eat yogurt but not drink milk. Some people can drink raw milk, but they can't drink homogenized and pasteurized. And there are logical reasons for that. Um, if you notice that the form of dairy you're eating is causing any digestive issues at all, a little bit of gas or bloating or anything, then stop. Because if it's causing those symptoms, it's also creating other problems. And being lactose intolerant is very common. Um, most adults... We're really not supposed to eat dairy products, but we've been doing it for, you know, enough thousand years that certain populations have actually adapted to it. And if you are adapted to it, then there's a lot of good nutrients in there. So it, it oh. it's really comes down to your own personal experimentation, but keep the sugars low and keep the quality as high as you can get it. Okay. What, what about... Um... Uh, I've been trying to get uh, more fermented foods, and it, it's difficult to find them on the market. But what about like um, I see uh, like cauliflower and chili peppers in, in vinegar? Is that okay? It, or or it, it's okay. Um, it, it's not bad, and it, it's not great. I mean, there's nothing. You're getting some of the vegetable, which is fine. Um, the vinegar, the acetic acid, will actually actually help open up some of the nutrients in there. So that would be secondary to fermented. Fermented is the best, but right, if right, that's okay. what you can get and it's good to snack on, then I would snack on it because there, there's nothing really bad in there that's going to hurt you. Okay, yeah, because that's what I can basically see, just the, the cauliflower uh, and carrots in, inside a, a vinegar. And what about pickles? Pickles okay too? or Pickles are good if pickles. you can find you know, real natural fermented pickles or make your own. And and I know it seems kind of daunting in the beginning, but once you learn how to ferment vegetables, it is just drop dead easy, even in the truck. I know a lot of people that are doing it in the truck. And once you get into it, you think, my God, why didn't I just do this all along? Um, my son and I made a batch of pickles a couple weeks ago that were just, really, really good. I mean, every bit as good as any of the uh, commercially cultured pickles we've had. So we made them spicy, we made them garlicky, a lot of dill. They were excellent. Let's go to Florida. JW, welcome to the program. JW, I hear you in there. Where'd you go? Hey, can you hear me? Hey, there you go. Hello. Yeah. Uh, J.W. Penny Stacker uh, checking in with me from Florida. Uh, I wanted to offer my uh, services as a uh, health and wellness coach. Uh, if I do a phone call, email, somebody that wants to get started and learn the turn on form or Sure. Um, do you want to put out your information now? JW. Oh, JW. Let me. Maybe you can still hear us. Oh, we lost him completely. Uh, boy. So I'll say it anyway, and maybe you'll hear it when we play the live show. Um, 
send your information the, the way you want to be contacted for this uh, to support at letstruck.com, and then that way we'll have it and we can get that out and direct people to it. Uh, and we can also put you on our mentor team, uh, and then when we have people who are looking to be mentored in that area, we can do that as well. I'm going to jump to another call. We're going to go to Alabama. Brent, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. What's I'm, on your uh, mind today? I'll find it difficult. To, uh, is, is there any, like, grocery stores you can recommend? That, and not like Whole Foods. It's awful tough to get my truck into a Whole Foods. But, you know, grocery stores that sell, you know, the, the high fat. I'm, everything is low fat. You know, even, I mean, they're... they're Trimming off all the good fats. I I've only found I found some. Uh, the only thing I found that was grass fed that had high fat was lamb, but it was lamb burger. It wasn't lamb like lamb leg or anything like that. And it had a pretty good high content of, of fat in it. Uh, but that's the only thing I could really find that has a high amount of fat. that's grass fed. You know that. Is, uh, couple yeah, couple things you can do. You know the 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 whole grocery store thing. One of the things to remember uh, is remember the backside of the grocery store where they get deliveries. Sometimes even if they're tight parking lots, you can find the back way in and park in the back real quick to run in and shop. Not always, but just something to keep in mind. That's typically what I do when I was on the road with the truck. Um, and it was a Whole Foods because I, I love shopping at Whole Foods. I would usually pull around the back somewhere. Um, other than that, whether you know you're just all over the country, so it's hard to know uh, it, where to go. But I've got some other ideas for you. I've got to get to a break. The music's playing. Uh, I'll give you some ideas on where to get grass-fed and what to do when you can't get enough fat. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Ross. All right, a quick heads up, we're heading into the uh, fourth segment, and I'll tell you right now, we don't have, we have a lot of callers on the line right now, but not a lot of questions. So if you want to get through with any kind of question, we can keep doing destination health, we can do tax, we can do trucks, fuel mileage, maintenance, whatever you got. If you press one on your phone right now, I guarantee we'll get to you in the next hour uh, if I don't get enough questions, we may just skip the second hour. So let's uh, let's see what happens. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. We're into the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the calls. I was talking with Brent in Alabama. So 
Brent, I'll tell you one of the things that I've done on the grass-fed side. Um, you know, sometimes I can find it in the local grocery stores, but it's hit and miss, even for me, being in the same place all the time. Uh, even Whole Foods. I mean, they don't necessarily carry a lot of grass-fed stuff. They carry some organic, some free-range, some better stuff. But finding consistent grass-fed beef is difficult. Um, my solution, and I love this one, is a company called ButcherBox, and it's a subscription service. So you pay a monthly subscription, and every month the box shows up on your doorstep. Um, it's frozen, so you throw it in the freezer. And you, they are adding uh, lots of new add-ons all the time. Uh, you can also get uh, really high-quality Kinthrew Butcher Box now and pork. They're starting to add you know, new cuts all the time, and you can customize your box the way you want it. Um, and it's probably one of the most consistent prices you're going to get. Not always the best. Um, I think it's running, I don't know, maybe nine... Nine or ten dollars a pound, um, wow. with really, really great quality stuff, and and Dang. you just know you're going to get it every month. So that's one of the options. The other option, when it comes to finding fatty enough cuts, you know, if you if you can't find, uh, you know, a real high fat ground beef, there's two things you can do. One that I've done is just take the ground beef, throw it in a food processor with some bacon. Um, and and grind it up, make your own burger. That's one way. Um, if that's a little too much work or you don't have the stuff you need on the truck, remember any fat you add to the burger itself. I mean, put a lot of good quality mayonnaise on it. Put some cheese on it. Put some bacon on it when you eat it. The fat doesn't have to be in the meat. The, we, the fat can be in the things we add to the meat. So I, I agree with you. Sometimes it's hard to find those fatty cuts. But if you can't, then just think about what else could I do to add fat to the meal. Well, like, like I said, the cheese. Uh, could I make a suggestion also about you know the the Dubliner cheese? It's it's the you know the grass fed. Uh, I can't remember who makes it. Kerrygold. And yeah. It's really it's you know it's really hard to slice and and try to like melt on on top of a burger or a steak or something. What I found really helps well is to grate it, you know, shred oh, it, by you know, with a grater, yeah. and it seems to melt really nice and easy on that. But that's a great I've idea. also had another question about that. Now, um, once in a while, sometimes I don't use the cheese a lot. I'll uh, it'll start getting a little mold on it. What do I do about the mold? Is that is it okay just to cut off the mold or? It is. It is, and I do it all the time. I know it freaks people out, but um, there are cheeses that are grown in mold. It, blue cheese is mold. I mean, that's that's what the blue is. It's mold growing on the cheese. It, it's just a controlled mold. So we don't want to eat. We don't necessarily want to eat the the wild mold that shows up on our cheese. But there's nothing wrong with cutting it off and eating the rest of the cheese. I do it all the time. Okay, so it's not like bread where you like have to throw out the whole loaf. Exactly. Now people do, do you know the cheese thing? Just cut it off, eat the rest of it. It's fine. Okay. All right, Kevin. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the grating of the cheeses. I, I, I'm so on a, that by accident. It really worked well. 
Yeah, that's a great idea because you're right. The, especially the harder block cheeses are really hard to cut thin and consistent and get them to melt. Grating it is a nice, simple idea. In fact, it's a great idea. Let's go to – that was bad. Nevada. Bill, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, uh, I was listening to a show actually a little while back and then um, not too recently where you talked about uh, stomach acid um, and using antacid tablets and all. And I'll be quite honest, I'm wondering. uh, I already got a reasonable idea of how you're going to respond. because of the subject nature, but I'm going to ask you to try to hold off on that because I'm just not ready sure. yet. Uh, okay. I'm a smokeless tobacco user. Okay. Um, and I've noticed every once in a while, my stomach is saying, hey, you idiot, um, why are you doing this? <laughs> uh, right. Because I start getting a little bit of acid building up where it shouldn't be. Um, what's going on there? I mean, I know my smoke with tobacco is pure chemicals, but I mean, what's actually going on? So have you absolutely correlated the heartburn with the smokeless tobacco use, or could they just be two totally different things? Um, I haven't been able to find a definitive correlation um, but about ten percent of the time when I'm doing my smokeless tobacco, there's a nice warm feeling at the sternum. Okay, um, but but let's say when you're not doing it, could you also find about ten percent of the time where you have some reflux or heartburn? Uh, and then some. In fact, if I touch Kool Aid yeah. or sports drinks, it's oh, yeah. so. Okay, so I don't know of any direct reason why it would be the smokeless tobacco causing it. I don't think it is. I think they're two totally separate things. I think you have what lots and lots of people have, which is low stomach acid. And I know it seems the exact opposite, but if you heard the other show, you heard me explain what happens um, without yeah. enough stomach acid, there's no signal for that that valve to close. If the valve closes, it is virtually impossible to have too much stomach acid. It is so rare. It's the opposite. We have low stomach acid that leaves that valve open, and now it allows the, the acid to come up into the esophagus. That's where we get heartburn. I don't think it has anything to do with the tobacco. I just think you have it. And, and you, okay, you well, would do the same thing. Well, what's your getting the good acid? There, there's a couple things you can do. And one of the reasons you're not getting it is because we have a nutrient deficiency. You, you are deficient yeah. in the nutrients required to create the stomach acid. Here's the catch-20. The stomach acid... <laughs> You don't digest your food to get those nutrients out, and it's like, okay, how do I solve this? Well, the way you solve it is in the beginning we have to supplement. 
This is the, no okay. different than when you hear me talk about oil or fuel additives. I say we, we don't want to do these for the rest of our, our life. We do them to solve a problem. It's the same thing here. So one of the things you could test on yourself is before you eat a meal, especially if you think it's going to be a meal that might cause a little bit of uh, acid reflux, swallow a tablespoon or two of good raw apple cider vinegar. Okay, that was the trick. Yep, and then eat the meal. And if you notice any improvement at all, it doesn't have to wipe it out completely, but if you notice any improvement in the symptoms, it's a little less heartburn or maybe it goes away completely, that's a really good indication that it is low stomach acid. And if the apple cider vinegar works completely, then use that. That may be enough. For some people it is. You can also okay. get um, hydrochloric acid tablets. So it's like pure hydrochloric acid in a tablet, and it's meant to be eaten. And it seems kind of crazy, but you eat one right before you eat a meal, and then you even might eat one or two more every 10 or 15 minutes while you're eating. Eat slow, chew well, be in a relaxed state when you eat. Don't eat on the run. Don't eat when you're doing other things. Don't eat when you're all stressed out. And that will allow your body to produce the stomach acid that it needs. And when you chew properly, and most of us don't, but when you do, that's the signal to tell your body to start producing the stomach acid before the food gets there. So all of those things, without any drugs at all, can fix this problem. Okay. How would you recommend weaning me off uh, Nexium OTC? Um, I mean, I, there really aren't any tricks. It, it's kind of like anything else. If we know we have to quit it, it, it just we just have to quit. Um, we can quit okay, a little so bit OTC, at a time. We can, can quit all at first. once, but it okay. it really depends what 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 feels better for you. If cold turkey sounds okay. good and you just suffer through it, but it's over with then that's the way I would do it. If it feels better to wean off a little bit at a time, then do it a little bit at a time. Um, There really aren't. It's just one of those things you just do it. You figure out what works best for you and do it. And then call me back and let me know how things are going, and we'll move to the next step. All right, we are uh, all out of time. So we'll see you back here next show. In the meantime, be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, hang on. We're going to do another hour. It looks like I've got pretty good questions right now, uh, so we'll get started. And if we start to run low on questions, I'll let you know so you can jump in. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let's Truck.com. 
The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers. The list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone, give me a call. We'll talk about it here on the air. We're, uh, you know what, it's uh, one of those short weeknight shows and we've got lots of questions lined up, so I'm going to get right to it. Let's start off in Illinois. Jason, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing this afternoon? Doing good. What's on your mind? Well, I have a trailer for sale, uh, but it's what you would call a signature B trailer. It's got just about everything on it for fuel mileage, and uh, it's it's a 2000 drive-in, and it's got the smart truck system, micro blue bearings, wide singles, Michelin tires, spare tire and rim, pro torque nuts, lift axle, right way load scale, Hendrickson heavy duty axles. New bushing, nice. new doors, new ABS. I got it up for sale Very for $10,000. Nice. Wow. Somebody's going to get a bargain. And it is in the Landstar system right now. So get to the fresh inspection so, every 120 days. Excellent. So do you want to put your information out on the air? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, my phone number is 518 518- Eight one seven twenty five eighty five. Fantastic. Uh sounds like a real find for somebody that's gonna be that's just an amazing value. So we'll put it out there. I have a feeling it won't last long. Anything else today? No, that's it. All right. Thanks for the call. We're uh we're gonna head to Minnesota. Gary, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. See, my question is on that, uh, I can't even think what you call it, uh, nose cone on the trailer. Yeah. I have a full height truck, uh, basically, I think, what they call a condo? Yeah. Um, we I had called in before, and you had mentioned that you were looking at a pro, uh, something that was probably better than that yes. on the front of a trailer. Yep, and I was just not only are we looking that... at it, not only are we looking at it, we actually have it in our store now. So here, here's the thing, and I couldn't say anything back then. I knew what it was, um, and I, I've known the people over at Nosecone for years and years. That was a good solution. Here's the difference: Nosecone, in some ways, was a lot like most trailer skirts. There wasn't a tremendous amount of engineering or testing or design that went into it the same way most side skirts are made. The thought is, if we throw something up there and it stops the air from getting under the trailer, it'll be better than nothing. The nose cone was kind of the same thing. If we put something up on the front of the trailer and we round everything off, it's going to be better than nothing. And it is. And, and, and I've seen some pretty big improvements with the nose cone. That's why we recommended it for years. Smart truck systems, which is, you know, the, our partner when it comes to trailer aerodynamics, these guys do crazy amounts of testing and retesting and cross-testing and engineering 
and the the soul of their company is aerodynamic engineers. These aren't guys that are just slapping something up to try to block wind. These are guys that came from you know industries where aerodynamics was absolutely critical. Aerospace, Formula One racing, you know where where they make tweaks of a quarter of an inch to make the aerodynamics a little better, and then they retest. So the products they put out are are engineered very specifically to get the best results. What was amazing was when we look at the typical nose cone, they would virtually cover up every bit of the, I mean, they had different sizes and their recommendation was cover up any open space. You know, if you're pulling a van with a flat top tractor, then you get a big nose cone and, and round off that whole space. Well, that was a good guess, and it worked. But when you see what is called the lead edge, that's the product from Smart Truck, and it's in our store. When you see the lead edge, it's tiny. It's not very big at all. With all their engineering and testing, and, and you know, they figured out what was really needed to solve the problem without having what we don't need. And we get better results out of something small than we used to get out of something big. Um, and the other thing is, is it keeps the cost down. Installation is super easy. Uh, it only weighs 12 pounds, and you can put it on in less than an hour, and it's 430 bucks in our store. And it works amazing. It- it, it, it's a small aerodynamic device that gets bolted right up at the top leading edge of the trailer. So there's nothing going down the sides at all? It's just at the very top? Just at the very top lead, and that's why they call it the lead edge. Um, It's just a small top aerodynamic device. Uh, Like I say, it only weighs 12 pounds. Okay. That sounds awesome. The lead edge. Yeah. Yep. And, And, you know, we knew about this product about two years ago. We knew it was in development, but we weren't really allowed to say anything about it. But that's the kind of testing and development that that smart truck does, and that's why we like partnering with them. Okay, and uh, if you got time, I got I I uh, I just brought my truck in because I I blew it up on Halloween on 2014, and I have not done a, a overhead on it since then but my mileage has been going down a little bit at a time but my oil samples weren't showing anything but i figured i had over 125,000 miles on on it without an overhead i figured i'm just going to have it done you think that was a wise idea or i do i i do after an in-frame you know and we see some fuel mileage start to drop off it's one of those things that it's a good idea to try okay all right Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's see. Let's head off to Kentucky. Vincent, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. What can I help you with today? All right. So I am in the market for 2000 to 2003 uh, Freightliner uh, Century. Uh, because that one is, okay. is a lot more aerodynamic than the FLD or the uh, what's the the classic. Uh, wow. So, so right. let let me 
Let me just jump in there a little bit. And the classic for me would be absolutely out. I just wouldn't consider it. I like the FLD. The FLD may not be quite as aerodynamic as the Columbia or the Century, but we we have a hard time measuring the difference in fuel economy. You know, the FLD, the air cleaners are under the hood. The stacks are usually behind the sleeper. It doesn't have a lot of sharp edges, a lot of things sticking out. Again, we can even make a couple little improvements to it. So the FLD actually gets pretty high on my list, and there's another reason why. The FLD had a totally different interior design, dash, switches, all that stuff, and it holds up really well. The Century and the Columbia and the Coronado the interiors are just junk. There's just no other way to put it. Um, I've rebuilt a couple interiors on those trucks, and it cost me a couple thousand dollars to get it back to, like, new and a lot of work. Like, I, I worked probably 12 hours a day, two days straight, to, to redo an interior and a dash on a uh, Century, uh, whereas the FLDs hold up really well. The dash is a much better design. So okay. I, I would add... Add the FLD to your list. Okay, okay. So, um, all right. Now, now I have found a lot of those, but in in terms of of mileage, you know, I'm finding them anywhere between 700 to a million, two, million, three. But I think my my concern is this. Okay, what ideally what I want to do, I want to be able to, to find one and to take it to a shop and have them to find every reason there is to not to buy the truck. Um, and that would be taking it to Pittsburgh Power if I was able to, and probably 95% of the time they're they're not going to let me, whoever it might be, or where I get it from, it's not going to allow me to take it to a shop. So I'm, uh, I'm trying hold, to hold, hold that thought, and I'll, I'll give you some ideas on that. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff from Kevin Rothsburg. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I was talking with Vincent in Kentucky before the break. We're going to head right back there. So, Vincent, here's a couple ideas. One, uh, my guess is with the trucks you're looking at, you're probably, most of these are going to be priced between ten and 20000 right? Right. 
we don't get too crazy about doing all of the inspections you might hear me talk about when we're buying a truck in the fifty or $60,000 range. We want to be more careful because we have a lot more risk. If we're buying a $10,000 truck, I know there's a lot of things I'm going to be replacing or upgrading or fixing. And, and when it comes to the physical inspection of the truck, I don't necessarily look for reasons not to buy it because I could probably find a lot. You know, the interior's right. a little ratty, the paint's faded. I can fix all that stuff. Um, right. If you are just not mechanically inclined at all to crawl around the truck and look for some of the obvious stuff, you could find a mechanic who wants to earn some extra money at night and on the weekend and do it outside of a shop. You know, and that's not always easy, but if, if you look around the area and you find, you know, and, and I might even lean towards, you know, an engine shop. Like if the truck I'm looking at has a Detroit, I might go to the Detroit garage and find a guy, you know, because that's really the most important component we're, we're concerned about. The rest right. of the stuff, we can fix and replace anything. And if we have a $10,000 truck, we know we're going to. So I don't get too crazy, but that's one way is to find a mechanic that will go with you. Now, and the way you do this is you do everything you can possibly do to make sure you're really interested in this truck before you bring him out. Because we don't want to bring him out six times and have to pay him. So you do all the work you can do. And then if you're still looking at it going, yeah, I think I might want this one, um, then bring the mechanic out. And, you know, you pay him. Who knows? Fifty bucks an hour. You know, most right. guys would be would be happy to get that. You know, cash, it, and they'll come out and do that kind of stuff for you. A lot of them will have a laptop and the software they need. If they're an engine guy, they probably have the software. They can plug right in and tell you all kinds of stuff. So, so or can... the other thing is, sometimes you just take your chances on a ten thousand dollar truck. Okay, so so. I mean, still getting an ECM report, that's that's still a pretty good move, right? That'd be outstanding. That's what I mean. If we get an engine guy and he has okay. the software, yeah. Okay, okay. So, all right, well, that's, that's that's the thing that I was, you know, that, like I said, most concerned with is, you know, after the rig dig, you can't can't really pull an oil sample because they normally change the oil. And then other than the ECM, that's, you know, I was just trying to figure out what is enough, just, just to make sure uh, – as much as possible, that I was getting a pretty good engine or a pretty good truck. Yeah, you know, uh, again, a, a good engine mechanic knows the kind of signs to look for. You know, on a on a 60 Series Detroit, we'll typically look to see if the exhaust manifold might be cracked because that's pretty common. Uh, depending right. on how much time you want to pay him for, he could, you know, maybe inspect the bull gear because on an older Series 60, that might be an issue. Uh, sure. so I, I would lean towards an engine guy, uh, cause the rest, and, and he's still mechanically inclined enough that he could go over the whole truck and point out some things that might be of concern, but we're not going to get too crazy about, you know, if, if we get a higher mileage truck and we can get it for eight or $10,000, you know, we'll find stuff later and we'll just fix it. So one point, so like one, one or one, two, that's, that's still okay. Absolutely. One, one, okay. two, or one, three doesn't scare me. Here, here's the way I look at mileage. 
mileage just helps me set the price. It doesn't scare me. I mean, honestly, there are some 2 million mile trucks that I know of that I would buy in a heartbeat. So there is no mileage number that scares me. All it does is tell me what I can expect, what things I'm probably going to have to replace, and how much I'm willing to pay for it. If I can find a a 99 that only has 700,000 miles on it, and that's what I found, I was willing to pay $25,000 for it. That truck, to me, has a lot of value. It's got life left. I, I, I can put it on the road and run it for two or three years before I have to spend much. If I find a 99 that has 1.3 million miles and it hasn't had an in-frame, it doesn't scare me, but I'm only going to pay $10,000 for that truck because I know I'm going to turn right around and do an in-frame on it. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, when I make that purchase, I'll give you a call back and let you know what I found. There you go. Uh, As you're looking, if if you're looking and you've got some questions about a specific truck, call me. We'll talk about it. Let's go to Arizona. Frank, welcome to the program. Oh, yes. In regards to your opens uh, this last weekend, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I absolutely just – I felt your pain. We all do out here. Okay, two – I got a a truck thing, and I I got a health thing. (laughs) Sure. The health thing first. I've heard you – on. Several, you know, different programs and destination helps mention the beat Kavas. And my question yes. is, if I missed it, I'm sorry, but, you know, my question is, is it something you got to hold your nose, swallow, and then chew juicy fruit? Or you gonna, can, <laughs> can you tolerate the it, taste of it? It depends. Let me explain. I, I found that I, I love to cook. I cook a lot. I make everything from scratch. And I found that people fall into two groups. They either really like acidic foods or they really dislike acidic foods. Things like really vinegary dressings, lemon juice on things, pickles. Which group do you fall in? Do you tend to like acidic things or not like them? I I do. Matter of fact, even in barbecue sauce, I like the more vinegary, acidic kind, but technically this is for my wife. She's she's missing her gallbladder because a, a wise doctor said, you don't need that, and took it out. <laughs> yeah. How does she feel about acidic foods? Yeah, so she probably tends to go more towards the sweeter side of life. She's not a fan of lemon. Uh, but some of your other solutions, like uh, artichoke, with, I mean, she loves artichokes and butter, so you know, I well, think that's probably good. right? She- she could eat beets, you know, whole beets, roasted beets, shred it, shred a beet raw into a salad, eat the beet greens. Um, so the beet kvass, I actually love the taste of it. I like right now I'm almost like craving it just talking about it. But it, it's acidic because it is fermented. Um, but it, the taste can be really pleasant, but it has some acidity. So the acidity turns some people off, but the, to me, there's no offensive taste at all. I mean, you know, it tastes like fresh beets, and then many of them, if you can find them commercially, like I have one in the refrigerator now that is, they used golden beets, and they uh, it's got a lot of ginger in it. So if you like the taste of ginger, this is uh, 
vinegary, pickly kind of beet and ginger flavor, and it they're potent. So the flavors are really bold, so you tend to sip them. You know, and you only ten, need, ten, you know, four ounces. So you just sip a little bit. But if you like acidic foods, you probably would like beet kvass. It's not something that I have to force down at all. It's something I kind of look forward to. Well, I got an ace in the hole from what I think I've heard you say is if it's Polish, she's Polish, she'll eat that chernina, that duck blood soup. So clearly I, I've got a, a chance of oh, getting yeah. her to do this. Uh, the big deal is it's just like everything you've been saying. I mean, she's on these uh, acid reflux deals, and uh, she's got no gallbladder. Hello? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So yeah. we got to get her off that. So she, okay. she actually has two Go problems ahead. going on, and they're the first two yeah big digestion issues she's probably got low stomach acid which is what starts the problem then without a gallbladder she's not releasing good bile for the fats so the rest of the digestion system is going to be compromised there's no way around it yep 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 so i'm gonna i will give that a shot and i'll feed back to you how it works with her since she's polish but that's true i'm not making that up yeah. Uh, then on yeah. the truck, I, I'm, I'm driving a 2016 uh, Kenworth T680, and, you know, the inevitable is starting to happen. I've got my first uh, dialogue box warnings, and it just it started like this. It's um, a little a ping, like a warning ping, and then in the dialogue box, it flashed so quick for a week. I couldn't I, – I got one word, low. <laughs> and, and finally, okay. uh, coming, down, coming down the mountains uh, – a couple of days ago off of 40, uh, it went nuts. And when I say it went nuts, I mean it was pinging, and I read the dialogue box, and it said primary fuel low, which scared the, you know, whatever out of me. And then uh, yeah. what I noticed when I looked at the fuel gauge itself, this thing was just pinging left and right like a cat on a hot tin roof. What do you think? Oh, boy. Okay. I, I've got some thoughts. They probably aren't going to be very helpful, but we'll talk about them anyway right after this break. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbrook. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls, talking with Frank in Arizona. So, Frank, um, we have a couple issues here. One, you know, a 2016, that truck is just loaded with sensors and miles and miles and miles of electronics. And you've got the pack car multiplexing dash, which is a, which is a whole different animal. And... This could just be an electrical problem alone, 
are you noticing anything unusual about the performance of the truck? More smoke, less power, fuel mileage down, anything that we could point to? Well, that's a great question. I mean, about three weeks ago, uh, I derated. I mean, little hills. I was doing 10 miles an hour with a light load. Well, it was yeah. the fuel, both of the fuel filters. And when we took them off, the tech looked at him and said, I've never seen anything that color come out of an engine. And it was, it was oh weird. Boy. Didn't look like, didn't look like fuel. And so we changed the filters and, you know, everything's been running fine until this ping started. The only thing I've noticed is, as I run pretty reasonable and I run about, well, I run 7.87 is my real uh, fuel mileage. And I'm down to 7.6 okay. since we changed the fuel filters. Uh, I know that's it's taken the small, fuel. Yeah, that's a small enough drop that that we're not going to put a whole lot of credibility in that. I, I, you know, your fuel mileage is still pretty consistent. Um, it could be a drop, but um, there's a real strong likelihood that whatever clogged those filters is still creating a problem in the fuel system, and that's why we're getting – possibly what we're getting is a low fuel pressure reading. And that could certainly cause derating and all kinds of things. The, the, here's the thing. When, when we look at these trucks, I, one of the things that frustrates me is if we were on a weekend show right now, I would get 20 more calls – and people would say, my truck did the exact same thing, and it was this. I know it's this. But the very next call would say, my truck did the exact same thing, and it was this, and it'll be something totally different. And all 20 calls could be something different. You know, prior to all these sensors and electronics and emissions and all this other stuff, normally we could look at a system and, or symptoms, and we could narrow it down to one or two things is going to cause that, and we would troubleshoot, we would find it. Now, people swear, oh, I know exactly what's wrong with that truck. You don't hear me say that. I don't know what's wrong with this truck. I don't even have a good guess. There are too many things that can cause what's happening on these trucks. And well, sometimes it is just purely a sensor, and there's nothing mechanically wrong at all. Other times, there is something mechanically wrong. You could have some some places in the fuel system clogged with whatever you know we got in there the first time all we can do with these trucks um and my advice is almost always going to be the same we just have to get it to a shop that's good at troubleshooting that's where the next problem comes in there just aren't many of them yeah well, I am going to run it to ground. The one thing I would tell you at this point, and I will follow back up because I know how helpful it is if you actually do find a problem to to come back to your yeah. show and other uh, drivers know, but I did go online when I got home last night and after it really went nuts. And I, I put, you know, put the words in and I got a bunch of different things. Well, the one thing that hit and seemed to match is that it said on this ISX-15, if you get under three-quarters fuel, three-quarters on the gauge, that the ohm uh, level shoots up to 300, uh, and it causes your fuel gauge to go nuts, and it's the, the whole sender thing in the tank. Well, I've kept it chop, choppers to the top full, 
and it hasn't gone off again. So <laughs> I, it could be, you know, this, uh, I can't remember the name, medallion or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It appears to be failing, well, but I, I'll run it to ground and come back to you. Yeah, yeah, and and that's really all you can do because it could be just a sending unit in the tank. Now, we know there's a problem, that you should be able to run that truck down to empty and, and not have any of those issues, but that may be the clue that at least points us in the right direction to start the troubleshooting. Let's go to Tennessee. David, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, thanks for taking my call. What can I help you with today? I've got a cholesterol issue with my doctor. He's an old doctor from the old days and stuck in his way, and he's prescribed me Lipitor. Since I've done the high-fat diet, uh, 2013, my uh, LDLs have increased and my HDLs have decreased. So maybe I'm not tweaking it right. Yeah, yeah um, I don't, maybe I'm eating the wrong fats or the wrong types of fats. I'm not sure. Well, let's talk about that because what typically happens, and it's very, very well documented, LDL should go up, which is a good thing, or HDL should go up, which is a good thing, and LDL many, many times will go up. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. We have to look at what type of LDL, a, high, a good high-fat diet, tends to turn all the LDL to the large fluffy kind, which is what we want. So we don't necessarily get too crazy if LDL goes up. If we're concerned about it, we would go have it tested for the type so that we know. Um, Lipitor, I, I could go on for the next hour about why you should do everything you can to get off of it, but I, I will refer you to a book. Go listen to, actually two, listen to Cholesterol Clarity by Jimmy Moore and listen to Lipitor, Thief of Memory, by a guy called uh, Dwayne Graveline. And you want to see some impressive credentials. Um, Dr. Graveline is a a physician, a flight surgeon. Uh, He's got amazing credentials and he had this personally happen to him on statins, and that's why he went back and did the research and wrote the book. Between those two books, you'll be able to make up your own mind about what you want to do with the with the statin itself. Um, yeah. So me, I mean, like, me a, I mean, it started me out of like one. Eating. Um, I'll eat uh, egg and maybe a little bit of cheese on it. And uh, just some average little spices or something, maybe some pepper and uh, a small protein product. And then for lunch, I'll eat a small salad with uh, avocado, avocado and different things in it, you know, healthy fats. Maybe I'll even sprinkle in some nuts. And then from, for dinner, it's, uh, it's a hit or miss, but I, I'm, I'm trying to stay off the grains completely. And... Uh, you know, I, I might eat uh, maybe another fast meal uh, with some chicken, chicken, and uh, maybe a slice okay. of avocado and things like that with it. You know, I'm trying to keep the fats up. 
Yeah, it, it sounds to, like you're getting pretty close, but you know, honestly, what in another good book just came out on this by um, uh, Dr. Mark Hyman from the Cleveland Clinic just released a book within the last couple of weeks called "Eat Fat, Get Thin," and what he is finding is that if somebody goes on a high-fat, low-carb diet and they don't get the cholesterol results they were hoping for, what he is finding is that he tells them to add more saturated fat. But you've also got to watch the carbs because you said you're trying to stay away from grains. If you're eating oh, the well, fats I'm, I'm and the carbs... I'm doing pretty good with that. I'm doing pretty good okay. with that. My wife thinks I'm nuts. Okay. Well, uh, you know, it's just, it, 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 there's a, there's lots of ways to, to show that, you know, as humans, we were never meant to eat that stuff in the first place, and we see the results. So, I mean, it, you know, I could refer to all kinds of books that would convince her or, or not. I don't know. Um, I'm fully convinced, and, and I've read well over 100 books on this. I'm fully convinced. But the, it, it is the grains and the carbs that will continue to make that number bad. It is the saturated fats and the fats that will improve it. So, okay. uh, again, if we struggle, I mean, we can always try to do this stuff on ourselves. I think we are our own best detective and health advocate if we're willing to work at it. But if we need some help, I would seek out a, a naturopath or an NTP and I would do. I, I would interview some and make sure they're on board with the high fat, low carb thing because not all are. But if they are, they'll be able to work with you more directly than I am because they'll they'll take the time to get a, a three day food journal. They'll be able to do a, what's called a functional evaluation, and they may find, and you may find this, that you're eating enough good fats, but you're not digesting them. I have that issue. So then you need support for the liver and gallbladder to help digest the fats that you're eating. So that may be the issue. We just we have to address that digestion piece of this. We'll be right back. Stick around. Kevin Roth. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the calls. We're off to Iowa. Gary, welcome to the program. Hello. Um, a, a comment that I had, I have read recently, and it was on your show, it was addressed about uh, being able to take money out of a Roth IRA um, at any age without penalty instead of having to wait until you're 59. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I was going to do that because I was going to get myself back to debt-free, and it did not work in my case because my Roth is in annuity. And so oh. I just wanted to mention well, that, but evidently yeah. there's a difference in the way that they're invested. Well, see, you're right, there is. And here's part of the problem. Um, there are 
so many variations and variables and possibilities. And, and, you know, the government has complicated this like they do everything that it's virtually impossible on a radio show to get to all the details. Now, when I was a, a certified financial planner and practicing, I had forms and interviews and I, I would spend, you know, two hours with somebody before we would ever make any kind of recommendations. On the air, you know, you got to kind of give what happens most of the time. I guess my question would be, why is your Roth in an annuity? Uh, that's where my my financial lady that, that handles all that stuff, she does has traditional and Roth IRAs for me, and she controls the 529 plans for grandkids. And I never gave it a thought to what she has it in. I get the reports, but I don't. And, and I look at their, if they're going up, down, well, sideways, these things are doing, but yeah, and that that tends to be what we try to look at. And this isn't a criticism of you. This is a complicated issue. Um, even right. if you would have known it was an annuity, I don't know if you would understand the ramifications of that. Um, does she happen to work for an insurance company? No, she's not that I know of. She's in a bank. She's in the investment uh, oh. division. Okay. Yeah, never mind. That was going to be my next question. Um, and here's the thing. I, you know, it's logical that when we're talking about money and we have a relationship with our bank, that that's where we should go to deal with money matters. Unfortunately, some of the worst financial planners I see are in banks, and they're pushing high-priced products. That's what banks do. Annuities are wonderful for the bank, or an insurance company. That's why I asked if she worked for an insurance company. They, but there is absolutely no reason. I, and this is why I don't even think to ask the question. Think of one reason why we would ever put an annuity inside of an IRA or any retirement account. Here's the only time I look at annuities. If I have maxed out my IRA, I've maxed out my um, Roth IRA. I've maxed out every possible tax-free investment I can come up with, including my HSA on the medical side, and I still want to reduce taxes, I might go look at an annuity. But I, I'm very, very careful about which annuities to get because typically they're just so overloaded with fees and commissions but to put one inside of a, a, a retirement account to me is almost criminal. Yeah, I guess I don't follow the all that stuff well enough. I I just count on on her to do the well, right thing. Well, nobody does. Handling it. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. We, we we've I, overcomplicated this so much that you know after three years of schooling, I, I still have to go back and research and read to make sure you know on some of these things, but. Um, you know, annuities inside of a retirement account, that just kind of makes me a little crazy. Um, and it also really, really limits you. You just ran into this. If it wasn't in an annuity, you could have taken some money out without any penalties. Right. And that, and I had uh, done some research myself. I called my tax guy and talked with him about it. I heard this address on, on your show because somebody else had called in was going to do the same thing. And he had read it also. And and uh, it was confirmed that it is in print. I've seen it a couple of different places. And my lawyer tax guy read it to me 
the whole paragraph right out of his book, and he said, yep, that's yeah. exactly what it says. That you can take it out at any age before 59 and a half without penalty, but then now, in let my me, case... Let me clarify one more really big thing there. When we say that, we have to be clear. So when you look at a, a, an investment account of any kind, there's money got into that account different ways. We right. made physical contributions. We put dollars into the account. That's one way the money could go in. The other way there could be money in there is because the investment grew. If we bought a right. stock and the stock goes up in value, we now have more money in there. If we bought a mutual fund and the mutual fund goes up in value, there's now money in there that we didn't put in there. It's called growth. We can't right. touch the growth. We can only take out up to the amount we contributed without paying any tax or penalties. If we decide we want to take everything out and there's there's money in there because of growth, we are going to pay tax on that. Right, and that's what I was just about to, to say myself is that it says in there in, in all of the things that I read, it says that you can only take out your contributions. You can't get you yes. uh, get the, the growth. Um, and that's can't where we take went the into right. Right, you can't take the earnings or growth. That's where I went into troubles with the uh, the annuity is because they're they're distributed differently than if it was in a in a CD or something right. like that because it pays the the principal first and then the earnings. Annuities pay right the earnings first and then principal, and that's what gets reported to the IRS. So that's where I would have run into trouble paying. Uh, penalties yeah. and tax on that money because it's reported as the growth comes out first. That's where we run into the problem. Not only that, you run into another problem in an annuity. Many of them have huge surrender fees. Oh. And that has nothing to do with the IRS or taxes or anything. That's the investment company. The, the company holding the annuity penalizes you themselves for taking the money out early. Okay, that was going to be my next question. If that if that happens any time that I do it, or if I try to take it out prematurely, such as uh, before fifty nine and a half, uh, it depends on the annuity itself. And this is one of those that I won't be able to answer on the air. I would have to read it because there are dozens or more types of annuities with all kinds of different rules and surrender charges, and when you can take it out, when you can't take it out. So you need, and I would go, I would go pay a certified financial planner to go over this. Don't use the the lady who sold it to you because she's going to put the best spin on it. Go take it to somebody neutral and pay them, you know, an hour or two to look over what you've got and make some better recommendations. Let's go to. Uh, Pennsylvania. Karen, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Was wondering if you believed in doing the cleansing. Um, by your that, that's such a generic diet. term. Um, tell me what okay. specifically kind of cleanse we're talking about. Um, they talk about doing like a colon cleanse, you know, a whole digestion digestive tract cleanse. Yeah, so, well, there's two ways that can be done, too. Um, when we talk okay. about, like, a high a high colonic, um, 
this is where we go up from the bottom end and try to clean out. It, it, there's no danger in it. I mean, if it's done right, I, there's even some, some uh, benefits of actually doing this with coffee. Um, and again, I, I don't know for sure that it does everything they say it's going to do, but it's not causing any damage. And it never hurts to clean out the body in that way uh, if you're up for it. Because, you know, it's a little weird and it may or may not be uncomfortable for some people. Um, but there's no real danger in it. If you're doing it with somebody that knows what they're doing and they're at least licensed in some way or other, depending on the state. The other way, there's lots of cleanses and detox where we eat certain foods and avoid other foods for a certain period of time, a seven-day, a 14-day, a 21, a 30-day detox cleanse. That, that is all about what we eat and what we don't eat. It's hard for me to comment on those unless I'm looking at one very specifically. The one that I can tell you absolutely works, has no danger and lots of benefits, is just a really, really low-sugar detox. It, and it's no different than, you know, the the – ketogenic diet when we talk about getting your carb count under 20 grams uh, you know that's that's a really strict low sugar low carb detox and those work amazing i mean it, there's just tons of benefits to doing those and some people even stay at that level or go back to that level which is what i'm doing right now i'm kind of doing a 10-day carb cleanse you know, not that I ever ate any bad carbs in the last year, but I'm finding benefits to go super low again. Be careful of things like juice cleanses because they're crazy high in sugar and they'll cause more problems. It sounds good to drink a bunch of juice every day, but it's just not. So if you have a specific protocol you can tell me about, I could help you with that. I'm all out of time. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next show. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.